is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. Well, we saw that a growth surge in the third quarter masks what overall we think is a weak trend. You know, we still think a recession is coming, but it definitely didn't start in the third quarter. Instead, GDP expanded at a 4.9% annual rate. That would be the fastest pace for growth in any quarter since 2014, with the exception of the reopenings from COVID in 20 and 21. But you need to keep in mind, though, that even with growth that fast, the growth rate since the end of 2019, which was the pre-COVID peak, would be only 1.9% per year, reflecting an underlying trend that is still slow. So why do we think a recession is coming? Because after the surge in money creation in 20 and 21, monetary policy started getting tight in 22. And in the past year, the M2 measure of money supply is down 3.7%. Meanwhile, the yield curve, which we like to compare the 10-year Treasury yield to the target federal funds rate, has been inverted since late 2022. And it's likely to stay that way for at least the next several months. Higher short-term interest rates mean that businesses have the ability to lock in healthy nominal returns on cash with minimal risk. In turn, this should lead to reduction in risk-taking and business investment. Meanwhile, jobs are still expanding rapidly. Payrolls are up 2.1% in the last year. And during the economic expansion that happened before COVID, which was mid-2009 through 2020, a pace that is that fast of 2.1% or more only happened when the unemployment rate was about 5.5%, which meant plenty of workers still available for hire. Now what's happening when the unemployment rate is less than 4%? This suggests that employers are out over their skis and vulnerable to other softness in demand. The bottom line is that the economy grew rapidly in the third quarter, but the fourth quarter and beyond are likely to be much slower. Let's look at the different ingredients that take place in calculating the GDP. We'll start out, first of all, with consumption. And real inflation-adjusted retail sales outside of the auto sector rose 3.7% annual rate in the third quarter, while real services, which make up most of the consumer spending, are up about a 4% pace. The one-week spot was autos and light trucks, which declined at a 2.5% rate. Putting it all together, the real consumer spending on goods and services combined increased at a strong 4.1% rate, adding about 2.8 points to the real GDP growth. And then we saw business investment, a 4.5% growth rate by business investment with gains in intellectual property and equipment leading the way, while commercial construction was roughly unchanged. A 4.5% growth rate would add about six-tenths of points to the real GDP growth. Home building, residential construction is showing some resilience in spite of the lingering pain from higher mortgage rates. Home building grew at about a 7.5% rate, which would add about three-tenths of a point to the real GDP growth. Then we have the government. Only direct government purchases of goods and services, not transfer payments, count when calculating GDP. These purchases, which represent about a 17% share of GDP, were up at a 1.8% rate in the third quarter, which would add about three-tenths of 1% to the GDP growth rate. And then there's trade. The trade deficit shrank in the third quarter as exports expanded rapidly in spite of foreign economic weaknesses. Net exports would add about a half a point. And inventories grew a little bit faster in the third quarter than in the second. They'll add about two-tenths of 1% growth to real GDP, when as recession hits, we do expect that inventory declines to play a significant role in the drop in GDP. But let's add it all up. We get that 4.9% annual real growth rate for the third quarter, but we are still looking for substantially slower growth as we head into the fourth quarter starting next week. Looking at our global roundup, we saw that the U.S. economy saw a summer surge. Global equities were lower on the week and mixed earnings news. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note led lower to 4.87%, but not before posting a 16-year high at 5.01% on Monday. 
The price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil fell to 84.75 from above 90 a week ago, and volatility is measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, with little change to 20.3. Taking a look at our U.S. third quarter growth lives up to hype. As we said before, a preliminary growth reading shows that the U.S. economy expanded at a 4.9% annual rate in the third quarter. That's more than doubling the second quarter tempo. Consumer spending was robust, as were government outlays, but business spending was flat. Most welcomed by investors was news that the core personal consumption expenditure deflator, which is the U.S. Federal Reserve's preferred inflation measure, was lower than expected at 2.4%. And, of course, we're still seeing that tensions are still high in the Israeli-Hamas war. Israel has initiated the ground invasion in Gaza, a move that was feared that could trigger a wider regional conflict. A preparation for ground operation, Israel launched airstrikes and raids on Gaza, and press reports indicate that they agreed to delay the assault until the United States could position air defense systems to protect their forces in the region. U.S. bases continue to be harassed by Iranian proxies, with several dozen U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Syria reportedly injured by drone and rocket attacks since the outbreak of hostilities on October 7th. On Thursday night, U.S. forces launched strikes against Iranian-supported bases in Syria that were intended to send a message to Iran and militia groups in the region, according to the Pentagon. And late this week, the Pentagon announced that it was sending 900 troops in the U.S. to U.S. Central Command area of, area of Operations. Central Command is responsible for defending U.S. interests in the Middle East. In, in Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said on Wednesday that his country is in a battle for its existence. And this week, the Wall Street Journal reported that as many as 500 Hamas members trained in Iran in September, leading up to the attacks on October 7th. And we saw the European Central Bank lift its rates unchanged this week. They held rates steady at a 4% on Thursday, as expected. Past rate hikes continue to be transmitted forcefully, and underlying inflation measures continue to ease. The ECB president, Christina Lagarde, said that the Eurozone economy remains weak and will remain likely there for the rest of the year. The labor market is strong, but weakening futures markets expect the ECB to maintain rates at their current level until mid-24, when a cut is expected. We're now seeing fears of a U.S. shutdown ease after the GOP elects a speaker. It took four attempts, but on Wednesday, Republican members of the House of Representatives voted unanimously to elect little-known Louisiana Representative Mike Johnson as Speaker of the House. His election eases the threat of a government shutdown when the current funding bill expires in mid-November, as Johnson has endorsed passing a continuing resolution to fund the government through either January 15th or April 15th. Additional large-scale aid to Ukraine may not gain support in the GOP-led House, though support for Israel is expected to receive broad backing. And some of our quick hits for the week. We saw the core personal consumption expenditure deflator rose three-tenths of 1% month-over-month in September. That was a four-month high from a year ago. The price measure aged down to 3.7% last month from 3.8% the month prior. Personal income rose three-tenths of 1% in September, while spending rose seven-tenths, showing that consumers continue to spend. And with U.S. continuing initial job claims remain low at 210,000, continuing claims have risen 118,000 over the last month to 1,790,000. That's the highest level since May. This suggests that the unemployed are finding it increasingly difficult to land new jobs and that the labor market is cooling. And fueled by wide interest in rate differentials, the U.S. dollar rose to 150.78 on the yen on Wednesday. That's the highest level since 1990. We also saw China experienced an estimated $75 billion of capital outflows in September. That's the largest net outflow since 2016, according to a report from Goldman Sachs. And the U.S. auto loan delinquencies have risen to a 29-year high, according to Fitch Ratings. China adjusted its fiscal deficit ratio to 3.8% of GDP from 3% in order to provide its economy with more stimulus. China has adjusted the ratio for only two other occasions during the 1998 Asian financial crisis and during the 2008 global financial crisis. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up. We'll be right back. 
thinking about solar? Call Western Solar, the local experts with over 2,000 residential and commercial installations. The team at Western Solar always strives to go above and beyond to make sure their customers are as satisfied as this recent reviewer. Western Solar is an excellent example of a high-quality local business. They do a really good job of working with homeowners to get a system that meets the owner's needs. Never felt like I was being sold to or that they were trying to oversell anything. They provide top-of-the-line products and don't overestimate the system's ability to win the bid. They aren't the cheapest solar installer in the area, but you get what you pay for. For a 20-plus year investment, do yourself a huge favor and pay a bit more so you have top quality products and support. Western Solar is also the highest category of installer within Panasonic's Triple Guard Warranty Program with the longest and most comprehensive warranty in the industry. Call Western Solar in Bellingham to schedule your free estimate today at westernsolarinc.com. Dedicated to service, shining a light on local individuals, law enforcement, and groups giving back to our community. Brought to you by Neater House of Luxury in Bellingham. Dedicated to service congratulates Allied Arts of Whatcom County upon their selection this year for the Community Impact Award. Allied Arts of Whatcom County is one of nine honorees of the 2023 Governor's Arts and Heritage Awards, the highest honor bestowed by the Governor's Office for Accomplishments in Arts and Culture. Active since 1979, the staff and volunteers of Allied Arts of Whatcom County empower artists via events and gallery space, enrich school children through education outreach, and work as local liaisons to art enthusiasts of all ages. Congratulations to all, and thank you for your service to our community. Dedicated to service, brought to you by Neater House of Luxury, Whatcom County's premier jewelry store, voted best in the Northwest, featuring an in-house jeweler for quick, affordable service. Neater House of Luxury, 21 Bellwether Way, Suite 107, next to Lombardi's Back Patio. Time out. All right. Remember, we're a team that plays together. Listen, the winning will take care of itself. We just have to get everyone involved. In interscholastic sports, we celebrate what makes every one of us unique. And in the pursuit of a common goal, everyone in the huddle, in the bleachers, and in the community comes together. This message presented by the WIAA and the Washington Secondary School Athletic Administrators Association. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Downey here with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. We are Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center. That's next to Wilson's Furniture on your right as you head north between Ferndale and Bellingham on this just north of the Slater Road. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number is 360-733-1200. And you can now check out our website, which is up again at wealthwakeup.com. That's wealthwakeup.com. Okay, continuing on with some of our global wrap-up for the week. We saw that the European Central Bank's quarterly bank lending survey shows weaker borrowing demand and tighter credit standards, suggesting that tighter financial conditions are restraining economic activity. We saw Turkey lifted its policy rate 5% to 35% in order to quell rampant inflation. And on Wednesday, the Bank of Canada held rates steady at 5% while retaining a tightening bias, but also acknowledged that the lag effects of monetary policy in holding back economic activity and moderating price pressures. Chinese property developer Country Garden was deemed to be in default of its U.S. dollar debt this week, triggering credit default swaps. And flash purchasing managers' indices for October showed that activity picked up modestly in the United States as the composite PMI rose to 51 from 50.2. And in the United Kingdom, the index stagnated at 48.6 for the third month, while in the Eurozone, the composite fell to 46.5 from 47.2, which is a post-pandemic low. We saw that U.S. Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen said that the U.S. has experienced what looks like a soft landing as the labor force participation rate has risen. Consumer spending remains strong and inflation is decelerating. 
and inerting snooze with just under half of the constituents of the S&P 500 index having reported for the third quarter blended earnings per share, which combines reported data with estimates for those that have yet to report, shows that earnings rose 2.5% compared with the same quarter a year ago. According to data from FactSet, sales growth is up 2% year over year. Okay, let's get in a little bit more detail with that GDP report that we saw come out this week. And the economy soared in the third quarter, but don't get used to it. Real GDP grew at a 4.9% annual rate. If you exclude the reopening from COVID in 20 and 21, that is the fastest growth rate for any quarter since 2014. But real GDP is now up 2.9% from a year ago. Consumer spending led the way in the third quarter, itself growing at a 4% annual rate. In addition, the economy was bolstered by a faster pace of inventory accumulation, as well as an ongoing surge in government purchases. We like to focus on core GDP, which includes consumer spending, business fixed investment, and home building, while excluding government purchases, inventories, and international trade, all of which are very volatile from quarter to quarter. Core GDP increased at a healthy 3.3% annual rate in the third quarter. However, not all of the GDP news was good, and we think that the U.S. economy is headed for a recession by sometime next year. Business fixed investment declined slightly in the third quarter, led by equipment. Given higher short-term interest rates and tighter monetary policy, companies should become more reluctant to invest in the year ahead. We take on more risk when companies can earn a solid return by saving in low-risk securities. Meanwhile, the surge in government purchases in the past year should soon abate as the federal deficit is on an unsustainable course. In addition, businesses are unlikely to continue accumulating inventories at the fast pace of the third quarter. And on top of that, consumer purchasing power is running into headwinds due to the depletion of COVID stimulus-related savings, as well as slower growth in workers' earnings, which due to high inflation are barely above the pre-COVID level on an hourly basis. Notably, inflation remains a big problem in the third quarter, with GDP prices up at a 3.5% annual rate. We think investors are underestimating the odds of the Federal Reserve raising short-term rates at least one more time by early next year. Nominal GDP is up 6.3% from a year ago, but that's a deceleration from a 9.1% pace in the year ending in the third quarter of 22. And given tighter money, we are likely to see further deceleration in the year ahead. Taking a look at the September new home sales report also came out. We saw that new home sales posted their largest month to gain in more than a year in September, beating even the most optimistic forecast of any economics group. The gain adds to an upward trend in sales in the past year, which are now up 39.8% above the low in July of 22. However, there still remain well below the pandemic highs of 2020. The main issue with U.S. housing market remains affordability. If you assume a 20% down payment, the rise in mortgage rates since the Federal Reserve began its current tightening cycle amounts to a 30% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the immediate new home. With 30-year mortgage rates currently sitting above 75 and close to 8% for the first time in two decades, financing costs remain a headwind. But the good news for potential buyers is that the median sales price of new homes has fallen by 15.7% from a peak late last year. However, it's important to note this drop in median prices is likely due to the mix of homes on the market, including more lower-priced options as the developers complete smaller properties. Supply has also put more downward pressure on new homes than existing homes. The supply of completed single-family homes is up nearly 150% versus the bottom in 22. This contrasts with the markets for existing homes, which continues to struggle with an inventory problem, often due to the difficulty of convincing current homeowners to give up their low fixed-rate mortgages that they locked in during the pandemic. This does not mean that housing is getting more affordable per square foot, with the Census Bureau reporting median prices on the basis are up 45% from 2019 to 2022, which is the most recent data available. Though not a recipe for a significant rebound, more inventories, giving potential buyers a wider array of options will help put a floor under sales activity. 
One problem with assessing housing activity is that the Federal Reserve held interest rates artificially low for more than a decade. With rates now in a more normal range, the sticker shock on mortgage rates for potential buyers is very real. However, we have had strong housing markets with rates at current levels in the past, and home buyers will eventually adjust. We also got data on the M2 money supply, which declined three-tenths of 1% in September and is down 3.6% from a year ago. Monetary policy operates with a lag, and we are likely to feel the negative economic effects of these declines in months ahead. In recent manufacturing news, the Richmond Fed Index, which is a measure of mid-Atlantic factory activity, slipped to plus 3 in October from plus 5 in September. And the Durable Goods Report came out this week and orders surprised to the upside in September with growth across most major categories. A surge of commercial aircraft was up 92.5% in September, was the major contributor to growth in new orders following large declines in these aircraft orders in the last two months. If you strip out the typically volatile transportation category and orders for durable goods still rose a half a percent, with gains across most major categories. Machinery led the ex-transportation orders higher, rising nine-tenths of one percent in September. Fabricated medical products were also up nine-tenths, computers and electronic products up one, and electrical equipment up nine-tenths of a percent. They also rose. Primary metal products was the lone major category to decline outside of the transportation sector, when down four-tenths of one percent. Arguably the most important number in this report in core shipments is key input for business investment in the calculation of GDP, which was unchanged in September. These shipments rose at a 1.3% annualized rate in the third quarter versus the second quarter. The growth in shipments was slowing since the start of 22. We expect this trend will continue as the economy feels the lagging effects of the Federal Reserve's actions to remove money from the system. In the past year, orders for durable goods were up 7.8%, while orders excluding transportation up from all more, all more modest 1.7. A number of factors are likely to keep the path forward rocky as we close out 23. A tighter COVID-era economic morphine then artificially boosted both consumer and business spending. And, of course, the withdrawal symptoms from that. In addition, this return towards services means that goods-related activity will continue to soften in the year ahead, even as some durables that facilitate services recover. And while the data to date has shown continued economic growth, we believe a recession is likely before the end of 24. In other news, initial claims for jobless benefits rose 10,000 last week to 210,000. Meanwhile, continuing claims rose 63,000 to 1.79 million. These figures suggest continued growth in employment in the month of October. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up. We'll be right back. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Every day, KGMI brings you the latest news and information, and we also give you a chance to express your opinion on a major news story of the day. Go to KGMI.com anytime and take part in our daily news poll to see what others are thinking and add your voice. We'll have an update during the KGMI afternoon news, and we'll give you a final tally and a new question each day during the KGMI morning news. Be part of the conversation with the KGMI daily news poll, another informative and free feature from KGMI. You've earned your retirement and you're ready to fully embrace it. So why not do it with style at Meadow Greens Retirement? You'll enjoy active, independent living with amenities like the library lounge, wellness program, and expansive social calendar. Indulge in three daily meals made from scratch, get pampered at the on-site salon, and join in for Friday night socials. Meadow Greens is active retirement, the only locally owned retirement facility in the county with one and two bedroom apartments with full kitchens available offering the freedom of eating in or enjoying a meal at the Outward Nine or the Duck Hook Bistro. Meadow Greens can also be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Hi. 
I'm Josh Howe, director here at Meadow Greens. I'd like to personally invite you to come to our community. I look forward to showing you all that we have to offer. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener at Meadow Greens. Casco Gas is offering energy efficiency rebates so you can enjoy more comfort in every room of your home and a lower energy bill, all while earning cash incentives. Want to find out more about insulating your home floors, walls, ceiling, and attic to keep it warm in the winter and cool in the summer, and earn Cascade rebates? Call Aero Insulation, a Cascade natural gas trade ally, to learn more about how air sealing and insulation can improve your comfort and health and lower your energy bills. The team at Aero Insulation serves Whatcom, Island, Skagit, Snohomish, and King Counties. And they're experts in Cascades rebates that'll make air sealing and insulating a no-brainer. Call Aero Insulation today at 877-658-WARM and online at GoAeroInc.com. So if you're a Cascade Natural Gas customer, take another walk through your home and start thinking of all the rebates you could earn when you upgrade the energy efficiency of your home. Don't wait. Find out more today at CNGC.com to start earning your cash rebates. Jump for joy because Summit Adventure Park in Bellingham is coming to PNW Perks this Thursday. You can score a two-hour jump pass for two at Summit Adventure Park for half the price this Thursday at pnwperks.com. Don't get stuck inside this winter. Get to Summit Adventure Park, the place for fun, exercise, and the best birthday parties. With high-performance trampolines, giant slides, dodgeball, wall climbing, and so much more. You'll love Summit's new monthly membership. Become a member for just 25 bucks and jump for two hours every day for just 25 bucks a month. Plus, Summit has the best birthday packages in town. Invite all your friends for two hours of fun, including pizza and no cleanup for mom and dad either. And monthly members receive 20% off the the best birthday parties. Head to summit.com for more information on memberships and birthday parties. And this Thursday at pnwperks.com, get a two-hour jump pass for two at Summit Adventure Park for the price of one. Summit Adventure Park on Meridian next to Home Goods in Bellingham. Olivia from Washington. <clears throat> Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. Find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Nick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. Also had our September personal income and consumption report come out this week. And incomes continued to rise. The consumers continue to spend in September, putting pressure on the Fed as it continues to battle inflation. The best news in the report was that incomes rose at three-tenths of one percent in September, up 4.7% in the last year, led by gains in private sector wages and salaries, which were up three-tenths of one percent for the month and up over five percent for the year. The pickup in consumer spending outpaced the growth in income in September, rising seven-tenths of one percent, with healthy spending across both goods and services. Good spending rose seven-tenths of one percent in the month, up 3.3% in the last year, while real inflation-adjusted spending on goods is up 2.4%. Spending on services rose 8 tenths of 1% in September, is up 7.2% in the past year. 
and 2.4% when adjusted for inflation. And on the inflation front, PCE prices, which is the Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation, rose four-tenths of 1% at September, bringing the 12-month comparison up to 3.4%. If you look for more tepid rise in inflation in October, give the decline in oil prices over the last month. Core inflation, which includes the ever-volatile food and energy categories, is up 3.7% versus a year ago. You need to note, though, that the Fed has prioritized a subset of inflation dubbed the super core, which is services only, no goods, excluding food, energy, and housing. That measure rose four-tenths one percent in September, is up 4.3% versus a year ago, down less than a percentage point from the 5.2% peak in October of 22. Inflation continues to take a toll on the economy, which is also likely to soon feel more of the effects of the decline in money supply over the past year. On the housing front, pending home sales, which are contracts on existing homes, rose 1.1% of September following a 7.1% decline in August. If you plug these figures into our models, it suggests that existing home sales are going to decline slightly in October. In recent manufacturing news, the Kansas City Fed Index a measure of factory activity in that area remained at a reading of minus 8 in October. We do expect that next week's National Manufacturing Report to come in at 48.7, still signaling contraction in the economy. And you know, a lot of people talk about wanting to buy a second home. Well, let's talk about what you might want to think about if you're trying to make that decision. Because, you know, it's not unusual, but... Owning multiple homes can also create a host of logistical and financial complications. But why someone wants to buy a second home is first and perhaps most crucial question. What's the purpose? What's the goal? In recent years, lower mortgage rates helped fuel a surge of home buying. But now the Zoom revolution has opened up more options. Technology has enabled us to efficiently work from wherever we like. A second home can also be a gathering place that brings up growing children together for memorable experiences. But whatever the case, be honest with why you're buying and what the real cost of owning is. Many rationalize their purchase only to end up regretting the decision or losing financially. If we try to justify a second home by the rental income that it can generate, we better be prepared for the consequences. As soon as you rent, it's no longer a second home. It's an investment property, which is a completely different animal. And there are success stories, but they also the question is, do they generate enough income and to make up for the cost of insurance, taxes, and maintenance, though they're not exactly profitable? And you need to remember that just breaking even is a win because, in essence, it gives you a free second home. Location. The next key concern is location. Quiet and remote might sound nice, but the place must be convenient. If it's more than an hour away from the primary residence, you're likely to want a local caretaker. And if you plan to stay there for a couple months at a time, it should be near enough to essential services, including medical facilities, which become increasingly important with age. And don't forget about guest parking. It's often overlooked, but extra parking adds considerable value to a vacation property. And there are location issues to keep in mind. In areas that are susceptible to hurricanes, wildfires, and other natural disasters, home restoration contractors and homeowners insurance are scarce. So you have to be ready to self-insure in some of those cases. Local laws might also impose rental restrictions or govern inheritance rights after the owner's death. Such legal entanglements can be partially unnerving in a foreign country. Affordability. Naturally, affordability is another vital concern. If owning a second home puts the buyer's financial stability at risk, it's probably not a wise decision. The second home, it may lead to a reduction in overall net worth. It could, in turn, cut into plans for generational wealth transfer and philanthropic guests. That's because purchasing and maintaining a second home takes funds out of the retirement capital if you're putting an illiquid, non-diversified asset. In this case, it results in a retiree's portfolio being property rich and investment poor. It may make more sense to use a long-term lease for that second residence. It also complicates estate planning. Each state that you're having, you want to look at their fair share of estate taxes and the high net worth residence. 
becoming a landlord, you need to be sure. You might think that the expenses can offset by rental income, but remember, renters put extra wear and tear on property, which can give homeowners uh, a costly headache. You need to be sure to set boundaries and expectations for tenants. You have them sign a formal agreement that addresses accident and damage liability. Be sure to review any homeowners association rules regarding tenancy. And some may recommend owning the property in an LLC. This will minimize personal exposure to lawsuits. You also need to name a primary domicile. Legally, you must designate one home as your primary domicile for tax purposes. This means documenting that you spend more than half of the year there. You know, if you sell a home that you've lived in, the primary residence for at least two of the last five years, you can exclude up to $250,000 in gain or $500,000 in gain for those that file jointly. But the tax exclusion does not apply to vacation homes or other types of second homes. So again, it has to be your primary residence. Some snowbirds spend just enough time in places like Florida to claim it as their primary residence and save on state income taxes. But it might not be easy to get those savings. You better have a good CPA. And then you got to talk about leasing versus owning. Before making a commitment, some recommend leasing a second home to try out the lifestyle. Many retirees have only visited in the peak season. Having a long-term rental allows you to at least test out other seasons. And you may even prove more and more than enough generally requires immediate cash flow. So leasing may be an option. Leasing also provides more flexibility and less responsibility. Then again, owners can build equity and enjoy the freedom of customizing the property. Their mortgage interest, and in some cases, property taxes can be deducted too, unlike lease payments. And for those who favor ownership, insist that they get a good investment. A second home allows for diversification across different real estate markets. So it is something to think about, but it is something to think about. You need to make sure that it is the right decision when you decide that that's what you think you want to do. And we also saw a report that came out this week that said that the S&P rallies 10% or more when it goes a year without hitting a record high. So in spite of these down markets we're seeing this year, with something to think about, because the S&P index has not scaled a record high so far this year. History is any signal that would mean a sharp rally is due in 2024. The benchmark has posted an average annual gain of 10% once it's gone an entire calendar year without notching an all-time high, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. When there's at least one peak, the following year saw an advance of just 4%, and when it exceeded 30 records 22 times in the last century, it had been followed by a gain of 2.8%. And while there's no discernible correlation between all-time highs and index performance, History by no means guarantees future returns. Any rally would come as a relief for the S&P 500, which is nursing its third month of declines as bond yields hit record levels that had not seen since 2007. The S&P 500 is 14% away from January's 22%, January's 22 all-time high, has gone through 454 trading days without hitting a peak. That's the longest since the global financial crisis. So hopes of scaling the top this year are fading as U.S. stocks face several risks, including uncertain economic outlook, renewed geopolitical concerns, and the prospect of persistently hawkish Federal Reserve. Moreover, Wall Street strategists on average expect gains of less than 3% during the rest of 23, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. But once again, every case we've had, at least where the market has not hit a high this year, We've seen at least a 10% gain the following year. So put that in the back of your pocket and think about it, and we'll be right back. Thinking about solar? Call Western Solar, the local experts with over 2,000 residential and commercial installations. The team at Western Solar always strives to go above and beyond to make sure their customers are as satisfied as this recent reviewer. Western Solar is an excellent example of a high-quality local business. They do a really good job of working with homeowners to get a system that meets the owner's needs. Never felt like I was being sold to or that they were trying to oversell anything. They provide top-of-the-line products and don't overestimate the system's ability to win the bid. They aren't the cheapest solar installer in the area, but you get what you pay for. For a 20-plus year investment, do yourself a huge favor and pay a bit more so you have top quality products and support. 
Western Solar is also the highest category of installer within Panasonic's Triple Guard Warranty Program with the longest and most comprehensive warranty in the industry. Call Western Solar in Bellingham to schedule your free estimate today at westernsolarinc.com. Hello, folks. This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham, and you might know me as the host of The Aging Hour right here on KGMI. I'm excited to share that you can now listen to The Aging Hour every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probate, bills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m., and we can show you how to set your family up for success. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city. But sometimes, things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wolf Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. Again, if you got questions for me, give me a call. 360-733-1200. And we're seeing that housing is more volatile than health care for retiree spending. You know, when it comes to expenses that could dramatically increase in retirement, health care costs might be the first thing that comes to mind given that older individuals tend to require more often expensive health care services than those who are working age. However, a recent study suggests that housing expenses are actually a greater contributor to spending volatility in retirement. According to the study by T. Rowe Price, using data from the Health and Retirement Study conducted by the University of Michigan, home-related expenses accounted for 25.1% of the variance of spending in retirement, while health care expenses accounted for only 5.3%. Overall, about a quarter of retired households experienced a 25 to 50% spending increase at some point during their retirements. And one more than a fifth of households face spending increases between 50 and 100%. Notably, the cause of spending volatility differed across income groups. For instance, while non-discretionary expenses such as housing and health care accounted for 47% of spending variation for retirees with less than 50,000 of income, and for those 47% of those between $149,000 in income, this effect was flipped for those with at least $150,000 of income, whom discretionary expenses only explain 5% changes in spending. This suggests that higher income retirees have significantly more control over their spending in retirement, i.e. they can choose whether or not to take an expensive trip compared to lower-income retirees as major housing or medical expense could eat up a significant portion of their income. In sum, this study provides additional backing to previous findings that health care costs in retirement are more stable than it might be assumed, indicates that housing costs are a bigger driver for spending shocks, particularly for relatively low-income retirees. This also suggests that individuals could consider planning and or making major renovations making the house suitable for aging in place, repairs before retirement to avoid having to make unexpected portfolio withdrawals during retirement, which, if they occur during a market downturn, could exasperate sequence of return risks to cover those costs. So just a little thought. If you're thinking about some of these things, try to do them before you retire rather than after you retire. And, you know, we're seeing some really daunting implications of a divided middle class. We're seeing significantly worse health and economic inequalities exist for the lower middle class than the upper middle class, according to a recent study by the Research Network on Aging Society. As this population ages, lower middle class retirees will bear the brunt of this disparity, according to the study. The forgotten middle Worsening health and economic trends extend to Americans with modest resources nearing retirement. Comprising 30% of the pre-retiree population, study authors refer to this group as the forgotten middle. Individuals who which qualify 
just above the federal poverty level, $14,580 for an individual in 2023, make them ineligible for benefits like Medicaid, supplemental Social Security, and low-income housing and food stamps. The public policy experts warn about the shrinking middle class due to soaring property rates and financial gains among the wealthiest Americans. Findings revealed striking differences in homeownership, insurance coverage rates, retirement savings, and levels of health ailments. The disparity in homeownership, for instance, stood at a 10% difference with 79% of the lower middle income owning homes and 89% of the upper middle income at the start of the study in 1994. However, by 2018, the lower middle experienced a 31% decrease, while the upper only dropped about 5%. The social economic gradient already existed in the study start date in 1994, but Evidence suggests that members of the lower middle income groups will hover closer to the poverty level by 29. If this trend continues as predicted, more than half of seniors, an estimated 30 to 35 million people, will have insufficient funds to cover housing and care needs as they age. The financial stress in this group is exacerbated by disproportionate rates of chronic health conditions and worsened by diminishing access to health insurance, according to the report. The age of death is increasing, but the age of onset disabilities has been increasing even faster. The lower middle is facing a future in which a large portion of their remaining life is going to be spent disabled. The following findings relate to the portion in between, naming the lower middle as earners between the 15th and 45th percentile, and the upper middle as people within the 45th to 75th percentile. The key findings are as follows. Talking about financial resources, working for pay steadily increased for both groups, starting at 72% employment rate for the cohort selected in the lower middle and 81% for upper middle. But earnings conditioned conditional unemployment increased significantly in the upper middle group by 27%. Meanwhile, wages for the lower middle less than stagnated with a 5% drop in average individual earnings. Pre-tax and pre-transfer annual resources of the lower middle dropped by 18% over the duration of the study, from an average of 38475 in 1994 to 31737 in 18, while the upper middle increased by 15% from 78147 to over 90222 Home ownership rates for the lower middle group dropped substantially compared to the upper middle. In 1994, 79% of the lower middle loan homes, as did 89% of the upper middle. This disparity was observed as a 10% difference at the start of the study, but by 2018, 85% of the upper middle owned homes, but only 54% of the lower middle. That's a 31% drop to the lower end of the wealth bracket compared with only 5% on the upper end. At the start of the study, both upper and mid lower middle groups had comparable rates of health insurance coverage at about 93%. The rates for the lower middle, however, dropped by 11% by 2018, compared to only 2% for the higher earning counterparts. A harsh drop in employment-sponsored health coverage rates drove this disparity. Again, these figures were comparable in 1994, but they plummeted by 40% for the lower middle group by 2018. Also, let's take a look at health characteristics. Initially, the lower middle group had generally worse health than the upper middle. But again, most disparities already present in 94 were more saturated by 2018. Smoking rates decreased by nearly 50% in the upper middle group, but hardly changed in the lower middle. Levels of chronic poor health increased proportionally between the two groups, but the lower middle self-reported fair to poor health more frequently. Similar patterns presented in rates of frequent severe or moderate pain. And difference in obesity rates also decreased. However, this was explained by a significant increase across all wealth brackets. In fact, the upper middle group observed gains in obesity disproportionate to the lower middle. Later life resources. The upper middle group experienced a steady increase in the total value of financial resources compared to a plateau of the lower middle group throughout the 24-year duration of the study. This gap is derived from robust, robust increases in private income, housing wealth for the upper middle group that was not shared by middles of the lower half of the middle class. 
The upper middle group experienced gains in tax liabilities, but this did not counteract the substantial pre-tax difference in resources. Differences in total later life resources more than doubled between the two groups from 1994 to 2018. Later life resources in the lower middle group only increased by 3% compared with the 13% in the upper middle. So what are the implications? Well, the T. Rowe Price anticipates that poor health observed in the upper in the risk group will exclude them from participating in labor force even part-time. If an aging society with larger number of older people and smaller population of younger people to build the goods and services used by the entire population, we're going to be need more labor participation from older people. The evidence suggests that the demand for older adults in the workforce will not be met, creating a greater economic issue with consequences for all workers. Increased health care expenses will also put a strain on the already dwindling Medicare trust fund. These individuals, to reemphasize, do not qualify for Medicaid. I think what that means is that you have to have incentives to increase your pre-retirement savings, which have traditionally been far too low in this country. And also, we need more programs that recognize the heterogeneity of the population and the risk of this forgotten middle. The author's reports say that findings would necess necessitate legislators to better acknowledge the issues created by bisected middle class. Sweeping policy decisions implemented for this wealth bracket may now be too broad as members of either end experience vastly different health and financial realities. Rowe described the Affordable Care Act, for instance, as a policy example sensitive to social economic gradient where the level of support works to income-based sliding scale. More programs with a similar understanding of the differences in a single wealth bracket are necessary as opposed to the common all-or-nothing eligibility criteria. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI this Sunday morning. I want to thank you for being with us. Don't forget about our live show next Saturday at 11 o'clock. If you've got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.